Hi, listeners, before you get stuck into the podcast, just wanted to give you a little trigger warning that we talk about fat phobia and eating disorders, among other body image related issues in this podcast. Enjoy the show. laughing charlie <laughs> i'm laughing at what i'm gonna flat. say i'm laughing at my own joke before i've even made it <laughs> right are we good to start yeah. yeah welcome back to but where are you from a podcast by be seen where ec people in the uk can be loud be heard and be seen i'm carly and a fun fact about me regarding body image is that i've got a beauty spot well that's what they call it a beauty spot on my left breast whereas my mum has it on the opposite side on her right that's so cool <laughs> love that you're like boob oh. twins cool now now you've made me want to change my fun facts but i've got anyway, loads of fun facts i'm gonna give you two fun facts so i'm charlie i am one six to be seen my first fun fact was that i love potato waffles and you can tell um and my second fun fact was that i've got a mole in between my bum cheeks oh is it like literally right in is it on the arsehole or is it around the arsehole (laughs) (laughs) it's not it's not right on my arsehole but when i was younger when my like when i was a baby my mom thought it was poo (laughs) she keep trying to wipe it off yeah that's so funny hello i'm mayan i have a scar on my forehead from walking into the same table so many times as a toddler that I developed a cyst on my forehead that had oh to be my surgically God. removed. Did no, one be, did no one say to you, stop walking to that table, please? Oh, yeah, me. my parents. But I think they no were maybe... the table? Well, I think that they were a bit in the sort of laissez-faire um, phase of parenting by that point. I was, I'm a second child, so yeah. um, they kind of threw all the rules out the window by the time they got to me. Wow, like you're like Harry Potter, but like a like you have no magical powers from it. You're in just a really like, shit way. <laughs> yeah, in a really shit way where there's literally no advantage of you having that scar whatsoever. No. No. Okay. Well, I'm Viv. I'm also co-founder of Be Seen. I have a grease hole in my ear where my mum used to like squeeze grease out of it. And then like ex-boyfriends have noticed it and that they've been like what's that hole in your ear and I was like I don't know I've never actually seen it because I can't see it because I can't look at my ear <laughs> but apparently there's a hole there and grease comes out of it and my mum's got one too wait where what? as in like inside I, ear it's or? like it's like inside my ear like it's like no like on the precipice like on the tragus is it called like near the tragus I, I'll try to take a photo um, of it but no I, I don't know if I want to I'm it's okay. We'll look at it when we it. when we go and be treat. <laughs> Someone can squeeze it if you'd like. Oh, I, oh, I don't offer that I'm to anyone. To you know, I don't offer. I actually do quite. Anyone. I do quite like that kind of stuff. Like black, blackheads. You know that kind of thing. Mm, me too. Picking a scab and stuff. I don't like picking scabs. That's very different. But squeezing stuff. Would out you of my pick body. someone else's scab though? Oh, no. this is hyphen. <laughs> This is so not the topic that that, that we I thought we were going to go down when we were talking about body image, not bodily functions. Um, to answer your question, Charlie, I would not pick someone else's scab, but I would squeeze someone else's spot. Oh God, I feel really sick. Oh, I'm trying to eat my fucking dinner here. <laughs> 
Well, that's a good note to start on, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, Welcome back to the podcast. (laughs) Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We've had really great feedback from people um, about us forming this podcast because it's just brought in so many different opinions and chats. Um, I think people are loving it, hopefully. Why don't you let us know by leaving us a five-star rating on all your podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, don't forget to donate ko-fi.com slash be seen. A lot of hard work goes into producing this podcast. We have to turn up every week, chat shit for an hour, um, and then poor Vivian has to spend a long time editing Mm -hmm. out all of our cock-ups and silly things that we say. I do. It's really annoying. So give us your money. If, you, <laughs> if we have made you laugh, if we have made you cry, if we have made you feel anything at all, that doesn't come for free, you know? So give us your money. And if you can't give us your money, then give us a good review. Yeah. Or you can slide into my DMs. <laughs> or, or slide into Carly's DMs. Yes, there's also that. That's a form of currency, I guess. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to talk about body image through an EC lens. Did anyone ever inherit any like beauty standards from your family that are like more Eastern standards of beauty growing up? Yes and no. I'd say the more Eastern or East Asian beauty standards is the typical idea of um, lighter skin. Um, being the kind of form of beauty in that it meant you worked less in the sun and you could just enjoy a life of leisure indoors Um, and I am actually quite uh, tanned out of my family Um, so I used to get kind of teased by my my mum mainly that she had a lot of soy sauce when she was pregnant with me and that's why I came out this dark oh my god and and, uh, you know I guess because my mum's quite pale and my dad's quite dark. So obviously I, I got it from my dad's side. And um, not that she actively enforced or encouraged me, but, um, you know, there would sometimes be suggestions of, oh, look at this skin whitening product. Oh, it's all the rage in Hong Kong. You know, let's, do you want to try some of this? But I never really was, um, I never really had any sort of, um outwardly or explicitly toxic um behaviors in that sense you know the usual oh you're a bit chubby but then if I don't eat enough then I get told for not eating enough and you know the kind of unfortunately usual comments um but that's kind of really it in terms of you know EC um sort of expectations and I think it's also down to my own personality where I I'm not really fussed by well, certainly growing up anyway, I'm not really fussed by beauty standards. There is that really big duality between the mm. preference for petite slimness, but also the need to eat. And, you know, as we all know, lots of Asian cultures really focus on food and your well-being is linked to your stomach. And it's also a sign of kind of prosperity if you can afford to eat a lot. But it clashes with this kind of typical um, preference for, 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 for slimness. And, and there is that conflict there. I do think that there is probably something to be said about the really negative 
potential for comments about weight for especially for people growing up in the UK, um, which is already quite a fat phobic society, I find. Um, and thinking about lots of people I know who've been really quite impacted by seemingly throwaway comments from their parents or from family members or, you know, comments about gaining weight um, or get, not gaining weight in the right places, just a buildup of that could really mm. contribute quite significantly to your mental health, to potentially to things like eating disorders as well. Um, so it's a really, really difficult one to navigate. Does anyone else, I don't know, does, does anyone else experience things like that? Not necessarily um, personally, but it is something that I think about quite a lot because I know people who've, who've really struggled. Yeah, so, I mean, I think when I was younger, um, I didn't necessarily inherit the kind of EC beauty standards, so to speak. The, my first kind of experience of it was when I lived in China. I remember going to China and seeing lots of these skin whitening products like Harley said and I'd never really come across these before um and I also saw like skin whitening salons and I thought thought that was really wild because obviously in the UK we have like tanning salons and you know it was kind of completely opposite and I remember when I moved to China for when I was studying um, I went I just got back from two weeks in Egypt so I was really tanned I thought I looked great because you know I was really nice and brown and I got there and they were the family I was staying with were like you're so dark and said it in you know really negatively like <laughs> why are you so dark mm. I was like yeah it's great isn't it <laughs> you're like, no. um so that was the first time I remember kind of it being applied to me um kind of from an EC person um and I think as I've got older um well so, so to speak when I was younger I think I fit a lot of the very standard EC beauty kind of stereotypes. I was very small. I was quite slim. I was, you know, long, dark hair, et cetera. And mm. um, because I'm, my mum's English, my dad's um, Chinese, I think I had quite fair skin for um, a mixed ethnicity child as well. So I think I fit it all then. But then as I've got older, um, I'm not as thin now. Um, and I think nowadays I get more comments from kind of family members and, you know, close family members telling me I've got fat or, you know, you've gained weight. I also get a lot of your Chinese, so you're more predisposed yeah. to diabetes and um, that kind of thing. So I think it's kind of come for me more as I got older than when I was younger. What about you, Viv? Mm, yeah, I, I think whilst I would never say my family was toxic in any way, certainly, you know, these little comments, they're like grains of sand, like they just compound together and then all of a sudden you're you're you washed up on this beach <laughs> and you <laughs> I'm trying to continue the analogy. It was going so well. I'm trying to speak like Amy, um, where you washed up on the speech, and all of a sudden you you're there's waves of insecurity that crash over you, where like you think about your mom saying things like, "Oh, your skin's too dark after like playing out in the summer," or like trying to cook me papaya soup, for example, to make my boobs grow bigger, which never worked. Um, and buying me skin whitening products as well but then I always I always had that kind of like um 
it was a dichotomy between the British standards because my white friends would always want us to be going out in the sun. Like we'd, um, they'd wear their hair a certain way, make up a certain way. Um, and then I have like the uh, familial kind of um, beauty standards where it was more so about like staying slim and then keeping your skin tone lighter um and trying to make my boobs grow bigger and then also I remember my mom saying to me when I was really young when being in the car and I was like probably four or five and she'll kill me for saying this now because she probably like does not agree with that at all now but she remembers I remember her saying to me pinch my nose to make my bri- the bridge of my nose taller and that is like obviously clearly subverting to western stereotypes of, of beauty of having like a taller bridge on your nose and that made me paranoid for a long time and like I would throughout the years have you know people just saying certain things I remember like this um this white guy in my musical theater class he would like he would always beep my nose because it was like squidgy compared to a western type of nose and then like I didn't realize how much of a microaggression that was until a lot older and I'm like that's fucked up that is so fucked up um Jesus. yeah i know <laughs> but back then you're just like cool yeah i've got squidgy nose i think my experience has been somewhat atypical i think because i don't really fit a typical body size or shape um for an asian person um i mean i'm i'm tall i'm not i'm not like i don't think that i'm tall but other people think that I'm tall. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll, we'll use tall as a relative term. I'm tall compared to all of you lot. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a fair bit taller than the average British woman, but I'm not like, you know, I've got t- friends who are much taller than me, put it that way, female friends. Um, and, but I'm, I'm tall, but not super slim. So that makes shopping for jeans an absolute fucking nightmare because um, if you shop in the tall section, they also, they just assume that if you've got long legs then they're also really slim legs. But my, um, I, my, my legs are quite thick with a double, double, double C. C. <laughs> oh, you a snack CC. No, they're, but they're quite, I don't know. They're quite um, hench, I suppose. Um, and so it makes shopping for jeans really, really difficult. I'm quite self-conscious about them, or at least I used to be, but it's something that I notice a lot when I'm in Asia mm. or if I'm around my, my Vietnamese family, I stick out like a sore thumb. Um, and there's nothing worse than, have you ever, have you ever tried to go clothes shopping um, in, in, in East Asia or Southeast yeah. Asia? If you're fits. not really, really tight, nothing fits. And it's, mm. it's really, really hard not to be quite demoralized by that and I know that it's because you know shops will obviously cater for average sizes but mm-hmm. um yeah I remember and and shoes as well because I've got I've got quite big feet as well so it, it just feels like I'm an absolute monster or a giant <laughs> when I'm over there um mm-hmm. and I you know when I think about that and think about how I benefit from thin privilege in the UK which I've already said is a quite fat phobic society it's kind of um it's just food for thought isn't it but mm-hmm. I I wanted to talk about the the colorism thing a bit more because there is this preference for for white skin and like Carly said I think a lot of it is tied to um your class and not having had to work outside but yeah. I think a lot of the time there is also quite a preference for western features um 
whiteness, nose, nose shape, uh, and, and eyelids and things like that. And as a, as a mixed ethnicity person, I've been on the receiving end of quite a lot of that risky idolization of Western features. But I think on the other side, there's also an exoticization of EC features. So when mm. those meet, I think you get a really dangerous situation where mixed children are really quite romanticized and quite fetishized to the point where people kind of dream about the combinations or like, oh, we'd have such lovely kids and imagine what the kids will look like. And it, it becomes this really kind of, I don't know, I find it quite creepy. Mm. Um, and when I was a kid, I mean, I used to get touched quite a lot by strangers in the street. Um, Cause I've got, uh, my hair is not black like the rest of my family. It's, um, it's very obviously brown. Uh, and it's also wavy. So people would just touch my hair, um, touch my face, touch my skin. It, it is really quite scary when you're a kid um, and you don't know why all these strangers are touching you and praising the way that you look. Um, and I think that that is mm. really a dangerous dynamic that that creates. And it kind of feeds into a lot of problems in representation as well. Um, with regards to kind of valorizing mixedness or whiteness um, in certain industries. Yeah, I think I agree. I think, um, like I say, in a lot of ways, I was kind of um, had, I don't want to say the best of both worlds from my view, but I mean the best of both worlds from the typical beauty standards view in that I have um, some East Asian features. I have the squishy nose, um, the monolid, <laughs> but then I do have the lighter skin of... Um, my mom so I think like you say I was kind of I was quite romanticized and I have had people before say to me that guys say to me oh I like mixed people and I always question them like why why like mixed like yeah exactly so never spoke to them again obviously yeah um but yeah I I think I agree with what you said Mayan there's also like a really interesting just when you mentioned about guys saying they like mixed people I've had that before where I felt almost because of that glamorization of mixed ethnicity people, I felt like I wanted to be one for so long. Like I look, I'd look at my cousins and I'd look at other mixed ethnicity people and be like, I want to be mixed ethnicity. And then when you hear like men saying things like, oh, I dated this um, mixed race girl. She was this and that. And like really, really the, the ex- exotification of mixed ethnicity, men and women, and like how how I felt like oh well I'm just Chinese I'm not good enough um, to you know I don't I can never achieve those standards of beauty and like just unpacking that is so messed up. There's so much internalized racism there. There's so much of my own like um, fetishization towards mixed ethnicity people. Like, and it's only something that I've only began really thinking about by having these discussions with my friends and my peers that I'm like oh I've done I've done that so many times I've said things like I can't wait to have mixed ethnicity babies and and then like learning how that is so dangerous um and completely homogenizes a group of people as well has been a major learning curve and I wonder whether people listening as well they they have children with um uh, those who are outside of their ethnicity um, who are different who are different ethnicities to them and how like they feel about um have they had this discussion with their partners because that could so easily happen where like you date someone because you see them 
um, as producing mixed ethnicity babies and and therefore like I don't know, not better babies, but you know perceived higher standard of beauty. Superior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's really yeah. fucked up. Yeah, basically, bottom line: don't touch other people's children. Don't touch their <laughs> head. Don't actually don't touch anyone's hair. Don't touch anyone yeah. without permission. Um, and don't you don't be thinking about picking and choosing characteristics and you know creating mm. it's oh it's so yucky but the just the internalized racism that is such a good point because when you were saying that I just like got you know do you have you I feel like throughout these podcasts I just get flashbacks you mm. know and it's just such a space to just realize you have light bulb moments and you think mm. oh my god I used to do this and I've just realized that when I was younger obviously I used to get the shape of my eyes made fun of all the time mm. um, by other kids, sometimes by adults. Um, and a way that I tried to combat that was to just try and open my eyes really wide all the time. Oh. So it's like to try and disguise, that. yeah, to try and yeah. disguise the shape of my eyes because, mm. you know, people would, I felt like, you know, the more slitty they are, the more people are going to make fun of you. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, wow especially on pictures I think yeah I tended to do it like you know like really I'm doing it now like really open (laughs) your eyes as if it makes them look any less um like my eyes it just makes you look crazy even now sometimes when I smile I don't properly like put on a full beamer because I notice how small my eyes look Mm. and uh I think this actually reminds me of the time when I first had to get glasses and I was, I think I must've been 12 or 13 in first year of high school. And it was both um, an absolutely crushing realization that I had to wear glasses because obviously my eyesight isn't very good. Um, And, you know, it's never nice to find out that your body doesn't work the way you would like it to, but also it meant that I fulfilled that stereotype and I kind of anticipated being teased because I was, you know Chinese or East Asian and wearing glasses and I think that that was an interesting um I think now that I reflect on it um that was Mm. unusual or perhaps uh to realize that that's played into my reaction to finding out I had to wear glasses oh my god I like you've just articulated something that I probably still feel now actually and that's why I don't wear glasses that often unless I'm at home yeah I I I never wear glasses outside the house I hate them Oh, well, I really love glasses. I'm really glad I've got glasses because <laughs> it gives me another thing to buy and to enjoy and it's different. <laughs> but my, I think I've got that from my mum because my mum hated wearing glasses. And I think it's different now if you're a, a kid who has to get glasses because the glasses are so much cooler now. Oh, yeah. Back in yeah. day, I mean, my mum, obviously she had glasses in the 80s and the 90s <laughs> and they were these massive, you know, oh, yeah. like bottle cap. And people yeah. in, I mean people in my family have got pretty, pretty poor eyesight. So the (laughs) lenses are really, really thick. And my mum hated her glasses and she never, like, you know, she was, uh, she didn't like that. And I think I kind of inherited that. Um, And I, yeah, I don't really like wearing glasses outside Mm. of the house. I try and, I try to wear them now just for like eye health. If I'm at home, I'm going to work from home anyway. So it's it's not, um, that's not a problem, but I, had a lot of insecurity around glasses as well because I had mm. to wear them from a really young age. I think I got glasses when I was like seven. How old were, oh, how old yeah. were you? 
Well, funny story. When I was in, this is not that funny to be honest. But when I was in primary school, <laughs> um, you know how you have them standard tests. They do like eye tests, hearing tests, etc. So you're probably like what five, something like that. And um, they came in. I failed every single test, but I didn't tell my mum or something like that. I can't remember how it went down because I don't know how she didn't get a letter or something. But basically, long story short, I didn't tell my mum. I obviously needed glasses from about the age of five, but I ended up not getting them until I was in year eight, so 13. So I Jesus. didn't have glasses for a long time. So I just couldn't see anything ever. And the only reason I had to get them is because I was in English um, and I, was, I wasn't naughty at school, but, well, maybe I was, but um, <laughs> I talked a lot. So <laughs> I wanted to sit with my friend. Um, so I told my teacher I couldn't see the board because she was sat at the front. So she moved me forward. And then at parents' evening, this teacher grasped on me and said, Charlotte can't see the board. I think she should get glasses. So then my mum took me to the opticians and she, you know, ruined all my fun. And then I had to get glasses. So then and you then could I see clearly. Glasses. Yeah, I could see clearly, but then I got glasses and someone told me I like got one. Oh so, my God. Yeah. I used to own Gokwan glasses. In fact, I still do. They're my like at home glasses. They have Gokwan on the side of them and I hate them. And I wonder why I hate okay. them. It's because of that internalized racism of looking like a Chinese oh, person yeah. wearing glasses. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I've got two questions. First one is who is the most defensive person you've ever been told that you look like? <laughs> I mean, Gokwan was Gokwan is yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> I've been told I look like Rihanna and it was very weird. So I had... Compliment, take it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yes. yeah, Call maybe. Me <laughs> maybe, but then I also felt like because... So I had a really dark tan. I was I went to the beach in 40 degree heat with no sunscreen oh. and I was, I was quite dark. Mm. And um, I had shades on. I had um, a kind of... I wouldn't call it a Justin Bieber haircut because I made it fashionable before Bieber did. But <laughs> when I got my haircut in Japan, it was this kind of, um, you know, teenage swept over look. And I had these big shades on and someone in my family said, oh, you look like, you know, that that singer, Rihanna. And whilst, yes, it is a compliment, but also it was that comparison of just because I was darker. Yeah, um, I was going to say, it's, it's if it's racist, I take it back. Yeah, yeah. So I think probably that's is. probably what I would say is mine because Gokwan, whilst it's not, you know, I totally don't, I appreciate that comment, but at the same time, well, it is, you know, he's Ethnically a Chinese yeah. Right ethnicity. <laughs> Yeah. yeah I've got a better one when one I, I did live in um China I remember obviously I think I've talked about this on the first podcast I was in when I thought I looked Chinese until I moved to China and then they were like no you don't look like us and then oh. when I got there she was like you look like that singer and I was like what singer she was going round and round the houses in the end I found out she meant Avril Lavigne what? and I was like just oh my what? god because you I? were like the, she was the... like yeah because she thought I was white and I was yeah. like Okay, cool. Do you have really dark <laughs> eyeliner on? Were you carrying a skateboard? Yeah, yeah. I did actually wear darker eyeliner back then. <laughs> Viv, what about you? But, I mean, I still didn't look like Avril Lavigne. <laughs> I mean, like, I there's only a few references that I guess white people know. So it would be like your Lucy Liu, your yeah. Gok Wan, um, and then Cho Chang. I remember someone in Morocco calling me that. Um, yeah, people used to shout me that in the street. Yeah, yeah, that was fun um but yeah but actually but then I'd look at Lucille and be like but we look nothing alike or we are just we look so different yeah 
The worst one that I ever had was um, Short Round from Indiana Jones. Oh, never you told oh. <laughs> anyway, yeah, us. who Short Round is, we need, to, we need to Google Short Round. Yeah, if you don't know who Short Round is, Google Short Round Indiana yeah. Jones. So he's a oh, nice Asian boy. <laughs> is there a demographic of an age that they don't know who Short Round is? I didn't know who Short uh, Round was. Uh, I've watched the I film, didn't... but only later on in life, so I didn't know. Anyway, I was I was told this when I was like nineteen. So, <clears throat> oh what? shit! Who told then that to you? My best one. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna protect the anonymity of the person. Fuckers. Um, and my best one was Myling Class. I was like, oh, yeah, of course. I'll have yeah. that. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. I'll, t- uh-huh. I'll take that if I got Myling Class. Yeah. A good one Mixed I got as well. Was, and all. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tick. A good one I got was the girl from the Saturdays. They couldn't tell me which girl, but I'm pretty sure it was the EC one. I can't, I can't Vanessa remember. White. Yes. Vanessa. Mm. And I was like, I mean, I don't look like her, but yeah, sure. I'll have that one. <laughs> um, I had another question. Oh, yeah uh i don't know if you don't have to answer this but what is everybody's prescription oh oh mine's like minus 3.5 it's not, that bad. It's not too bad no uh, mine, mine's minus three now uh, i think i'm minus 3.5 minus poss- possibly five maybe that sounds a bit extreme but i i've got quite bad eyesight and another thing is why i really enjoy wearing glasses is because if i wear contacts it takes me about 30 minutes to put them in and almost an hour to take them out. Oh, does it? I put mine I'm in without a mirror. Really yeah, yeah, I can't do it. I don't, like, I don't like anything going near my eyes. Oh, I love uh, it. My eyesight is minus 5.75. Oh, that, that is. Eyes. Yeah. You win. You win it's on the bad, bad eyesight. If we were playing How Asian Are You, I think you'd win. <laughs> Have we seen that hack um, to take out contact lenses where you like close your eyes and like move your finger on top of your eyelid and then like the, the contact lens pops out without you even touching your uh, eye? Surely you risk many... it. Yeah. I was about to say, do you not risk it going to the back of your eye? Well, that's hor- it's horrible when that happens. Oh, okay, that's we need to move on because Carly's freaking out. Yeah. Eyes. Have, you ever, have you never forgotten that you're wearing um, you're wearing contact lenses never. and you rub your eyes and it, oh, oh. Well, it goes yeah, towards the is, back of your eye? This is why I really enjoy wearing glasses and owning different pairs. And I've totally, you know, glasses all the way. I'm yeah. so glad I got them. Anyway, <laughs> to come back to internalized racism, <laughs> um, that was a big segue. But, um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I wanted to come back to this topic of um, fat phobia because I think that there is obviously there's a kind of dynamic with inheriting or growing up with Eastern standards of beauty. But what I mean, being atypical, and I'm saying this in air quotes because I think that typical is mm. kind of bullshit and obviously yeah, like, everybody is, is completely different exactly mm. it's like how the fuck do you know when they do like one size fits all it's like what the yeah. fuck does that mean yeah. it's also bullshit because it's just not true yeah. um but thinking about being like non non-typical in terms of body size or or image or whatever people expect from an asian person mm. I, I don't know i think it could be really it can be really damaging because people are like, oh, well, I thought that all Asians were short uh, or I thought all Asians were really skinny. Mm. Yeah, I still struggle with that now, you know, to be honest. I don't think I've really, I still feel like I have a lot of internalized fat phobia where like I constantly, and I don't even realize I'm doing it half the time. I'm not even conscious of it, but I'll look at like, you know, your own body hangups. Like I hate my arms and I'll look at other people's arms and look at how like 
skinny they are compared to mine or like double chin that's a big one for me as well like I'll look at I'll look at the double chins and be like they don't have a double chin whereas like I have so many photos of me with like an accidental double chin um and like all those all those inherited feelings of like being fat and how like that is a bad thing and like I, I feel like it's so normalized in our society like you hear it around the office where someone's got oh god I feel so fat today I feel like and then oh, the automatic yeah. answer is no you look great like yes that's like the expected answer yeah and I I it's taken me I don't do it anymore I haven't done it for years but like training yourself out of that default response is really mm. hard yeah I've I've noticed myself like instead of using obviously fat but actually assessing how I feel and I, and how I feel is actually heavy because I've gained weight and I'm, I'm unfit and I need to work on that so it's changing the vocabulary that we use to describe things rather than using fat as a substitute when it's you know there are people who are fat and it is uh um not, the word legitimate isn't quite correct but you know it's it's a perfectly apt description but it's when you use that word to connote something that's a lot more negative and and insidious yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's this idea of fat mm. equals bad that fat liberationists and people who are trying to reclaim the word fat and reclaim narratives about fatness that is the the the, the crux of it. And so I yeah, I, I also try quite hard to be conscious to use the word fat mindfully because mm. you should be able to say that someone is fat. Uh, and I, I know fat people who describe themselves as fat, um, or I can say uh, I'm a bit fatter now than I used to be. And the the context in which I'm saying it and the way that I'm saying it and the way that I'm just generally delivering a conversation around um, body image, it's pretty obvious that I'm trying, I'm not using fat in a bad way, but obviously mm -hmm. the so society is still at a level where many people would be offended by the word fat. So you do have to kind of pick when you do and don't, uh, and there's so many, uh, like the difference between how you theoretically feel about body image and how it actually plays out, the gap is so massive. Like there are so many people so who, true. yes, they've got all of these ideals about how fat shouldn't be a bad thing and your body, you know, your body, you should love it. And um, sometimes it's bigger, sometimes it's smaller, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when it actually comes down to it, it's quite hard to mm. actually apply that thinking in everyday life and oh not to look at yourself in the mirror. Like we've got years and years and years of magazines, advertising campaigns, products being pushed at us, things that are said by our friends and family members, all of these things, like even the health industry is super, super, super weight mm. stigmatized. There's mm. so much weight stigma in, in the NHS, like all yeah. of these things. It's not surprising that it's actually quite hard to, come away from it and I think that the other side of the coin is also to be aware that it doesn't make you like a bad feminist or a bad um actually not even just a feminist but I mean just it doesn't make you just, bad to yeah. to to feel that and that it should be okay like I've had friends say to me that they they see me as quite um, sort of outspoken and um, quite, I don't know, far along in that journey in terms of trying to unpack and challenge fat phobia further along than they are anyway. And they feel bad about saying to me when they feel bad about themselves because they think that I'm going to judge them. And that's so not what it's about because we all are caught in this system that makes us 
it makes money essentially the system that makes money out of us feeling shit about ourselves and so it is nobody's fault ever ever mm. to feel those hang-ups even if you truly believe with all your heart um you know that, that they're not true you're always going to have a day when you wake up and you you know you feel a certain way or you look at yourself and you don't like what you see and no one should ever feel shame for feeling that because you are a product of the system that you've grown up in and shame mm. is a really really dangerous um emotion how do you um this is an open question because i don't really know the answer but um obviously talking about being fat phobic etc um i think that's a really prominent thing how do you think that compares in ec cultures because for example i think that often in chinese culture i can only speak for chinese culture i don't know that this is across the ec board but um to have like a fat chubby baby is very glamorized because it's seen that you can feed your child you can provide for your child and even as an older male um you know if you're fat you you are wealthy it means you have lots of money and you know i think in a lot of ways there is some of that kind of it shows a, a certain class like you said in, in the same way as the colorism do you think that is just for a male thing i've never really thought about it deeply until we were just talking about it so it's like a genuine open question do we think it's a male thing because the only people i know that have kind of um ec people that i know that have had those kind of positive comments about being fat uh, male um mm. is it a male thing is it a gender thing um or and are women held to different standards yeah i think mm. so i think that fat phobia and misogyny intersect um massively in not necessarily in um in western cultures you know fat phobia can affect it impacts men as well um but yeah. i would argue that women are held to higher standards and mm. scrutinized across the world yeah. um and it's no surprise that women you know from an easy lens women are the ones mm. who are expected to um be a certain thinness a certain petiteness uh, and and so on so i definitely think that it's a, a gendered thing but i mean there are also lots of kind of body image stereotypes that really impact ec men and their potential health mental health like and I guess like, that's where the stereotypes go into it. Like if you're not a Bruce Lee, then by default, you're the Asian maths nerd, you know, yeah. the, the, the skinny, skimpy guy. So yeah. yeah, there's so much to unpack, but yes. I definitely think it's all gendered. It makes yeah. me feel like actually when, Mayan, you were talking about like how it's no one's fault. It made me feel quite emotional, actually. I actually teared up when you were talking then because it's just making me think about my own interactions with like people in my life. And it's only since I've... Um, been in a relationship <laughs> i have a boyfriend <laughs> low-key low just flexing but i have a boyfriend but since i've basically like you know we've been taking more photos together and i will just say comments and i don't even realize that I, how often i say them but i go i look awful in that picture look at my double oh my god my my face looks so big on that like so many things that i say and then like the amount of times that he has batted back and been like no you don't no you don't no you don't stop saying that about yourself and I'm like fuck like I thought I was like quite confident and I think it's not only when I've been I guess vocalizing those thoughts out loud to a person that I um I'm intimate with I've realized that I still have so much work to do and like I do definitely think Charlie it, it does gender intersects massively like when we're thinking about 
having sex, for example, and like how often, and I've seen so much commentary around women saying like they're worried about um, having a double chin or like their belly looking big in a certain position or like even when they're like going down on the guy and like that facial expression that you do when you're going down on the guy and like all those ways in which we present ourselves for the male gaze. And I, I asked my boyfriend this question, do you feel... Do you think about those things when you're having sex? Do you think about the way you look to me? And he was like, no, I don't. I'm just enjoying it. He said, I might have looked down at my belly once and been like, oh, that looks big. But then apart from that, not really. And I just think fucking hell, the amount that I think about like, oh shit, I wonder whether I've got a double chin when I'm lying down right now or like any other position. Like, it's so tiresome. You have just summarized like that gendered issue in such a good way. Men <laughs> look down. Oh, that looks big. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's glamorized. The dad bod is glamorized. Leonardo DiCaprio and like Chris Pratt, Will Smith. Like, yeah, I think men definitely get a lot of um, excuses made for them. And when it comes to especially size, like from as you know as a woman as a um you know I can only speak from this experience but I see that women who are commented in being fat or being too overweight or chubby there's so much focus on that whereas for men it's just oh they've gained a bit of weight and that's it oh and there's you know there's never really an okay amount of um weight um for women but for men it seems to that margin seems to be so much bigger I was actually going to pose to the three of you whether, you know, beauty standards, apart from physical body aspects, but whether beauty standards, um, EC or Western has impacted on the way you dress. So I was thinking about this last night, actually, um, and how when I was growing up, I was a tomboy, essentially. Um, it's a combination of things. It's a combination of one being quite lazy. I can't be bothered doing my makeup or dressing, quote unquote, in a pretty manner. But also because um, I just wasn't interested in glitter or frumpy dresses or bows or sequins, you know, things that my mum was like, oh, this is really lovely and very girly. But because she had used the word girly, because everything that was associated with the color pink was this idea of this hyper femininity. Even when I was growing up, I already felt that I wanted to be distant from that because it was really imposed on me. And, you know, nobody likes being told what they should like or how they should dress. Um, so I, I kind of really clocked onto that when I was, when I was quite young. And whenever, you know, my mum bought me something that was pink, I'd, I'd be quite angry about it because by definition, pink equals Barbie, equals a certain way of acting that a girl should be or a certain type of behavior, which I just didn't relate. And I wonder whether that is to do with um, like my own sexuality, knowing that um, I just don't really necessarily um, see myself as that super feminine um, behavior or persona or mm. um, sort of outward perception although I, I do play with that um now that I'm older from I'm from time to time but certainly growing up um as a child as well I think the connotations that were implied um if you were to be super feminine so I remember um you know comments from my parents um and this association that oh you know western girls who are very well dolled up 
from a young age, at like the age of 12 or 13, this hypersexualization, or oh, they're bad girls because what they have in mind is to be sexually promiscuous. And so all of that coming together just made me really um, conscious of the clothes that I wore. So deliberately choosing to wear clothes that were, um, you know, baggy or just t-shirts and plain rather than what perhaps my schoolmates would be wearing such as, you know, short skirts or, or glamorous dresses or whatever. So I just wonder whether for the three of you, whether that, um, beauty standards um, had also led to the way in which you, you dress and the way in which you choose clothes um, growing up, but also now as an adult. Yeah, I think that I probably feel, felt similarly when I was younger, a real pushback against anything that was remotely like gendered as feminine. Um, and people used to call me a tomboy when I was a kid as well, which I actually really resent and resented at the time, but didn't have the language to talk about. And that was because I was really angry at being told that I was a version of a boy. But I was like, why can't I just be a girl who doesn't like typical girl stuff? And I just obviously didn't have the language to talk about how the gender binary is bullshit when I was, you know, six or seven. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I reacted, I think, with quite a lot of hostility towards anything that was remotely pink or um, associated with girls Um, and it got quite confusing when I hit puberty and got to the age of you know starting to be interested in boys and you know your friends at school are talking about who they like and who they don't like and um, you know again still very gendered and like it was very much kind of girls and boys Um, the girls like the boys and the boys like the girls there was never any space for other conversations and it got very confusing because around that time lots of the other girls in my school would start really expressing their femininity as they were hitting puberty Um, and I didn't feel as comfortable with that because I hadn't really like expressed any um, yeah any interest in anything that was coded as as for girls when I was growing up so it took me quite a long time to figure out that I could, um, you know, feel comfortable being a woman because that's how I, I, you know, I, I, I I identify as a woman and being feminine without being kind of conventionally feminine. Even now, I mean, I don't Mm -hmm. think that I'm, I don't, I don't feel like I need to express that part of my, um, personality and, and particularly, um, I think that the way that I dress is still quite, I don't even want to use the word because I I, I resent the, the, the sort of binary nature of it. But um, yeah, I've always felt really ill at ease with kind of classical representations or manifestations of femininity. And I don't think that I should have to. Um, It's something that I'm still kind of still confused about. Um, But I have noticed, I don't know, I feel like, I, I I really appreciate and see and love the way that I've seen you express different um, different looks, I suppose, Carly. Um, Thank and you for kind of, yeah, my like, narcissism. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can, when you were talking about, it's only as you've grown older that you started to kind of almost, I guess, it, you know, experiment with your gender identity, you know, experimenting with feminine looks and then you know more masculine looks or slightly you know that I've 
I really um, respect and appreciate that. And I think that ex- like expressing your identity through different looks is not something that comes naturally to a lot of people. Um, mm. I haven't really ever shown that much interest in kind of styling different looks or anything like that. To me, it's just like, oh, that looks nice. I'm going to put it on. So, yeah, just I, I really um, I see that and I appreciate it. Thank you. I think also, you know, the point where you made about um, this idea of the tomboy being another version of a boy rather than just being a girl who doesn't necessarily enjoy, you know, braiding their hair or whatever. And at at that point where, you know, in in high school, kind of a combination of both being curious, but also questioning whether is that something that that applies to me simply because I don't um, fit into... um, you know notions of this is what women and 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 girls should be like but actually now realizing that there is no you know if you identify as a woman and that's just not what you um enjoy or that's that's totally you know fine and that's that's the same as a woman who also enjoys those aspects so i think um yeah that that really resonated with me um in terms of kind of thinking about these these terms that we use tomboy or a girly girl mm. I never really given it much thought when I was younger in terms of like how my parents dressed me. Like I was quite happy to be in pink um, and other kind of like supposed uh, girly types of outfits. I think as I've gotten older, though, I've just realized stuff that I've been doing that is so normalized in society. Like when you go out to uh, anywhere formal and then you're as a woman expected to wear high heels and I fucking hate wearing high heels I mm-hmm. I don't understand why it's normal for us to walk around six inches higher than we are like I can't walk in them and I don't feel comfortable and similarly like sometimes I love wearing dresses sometimes I feel amazing in dresses other times I'm like I think couldn't think of anything worse than wearing a dress and feeling feminine in in that way and I just like it's only recently that I've started to really like try to subvert those. Like I remember at my last Christmas party, everyone was wearing dresses and I was like, I'm just going to wear a suit because I feel, I would feel sexy in a suit. Um, And I felt really quite like liberated in doing that because I was, I was subverting something that is like, shouldn't be normalized, but it is like girls wear dresses, guys wear suits and that's it. I mean, if I can't wear trainers, I'm not going to be honest is my general vibe um but yeah I think um when I was younger I remember I always said I don't do pink and I think even to this day I don't wear pink I don't I've never really thought about why that is but um yeah it's probably kind of a lot of the similar things we've talked about kind of rejecting those gender stereotypes um but yeah I think it's it does play an important part into kind of how you grow up how you express yourself and I also love Carly your um your different looks that you style I think they they look really great you look banging oh, I have oh, thank you very much uh, <laughs> suggestions welcome <laughs> I have one final question to end the podcast with and just it comes back to this idea about families uh, and that's where a lot of our hang-ups come from you know we've all seen either seen our parents being quite self-deprecating often our mothers we've seen our parents being self-deprecating or we've had pressure from our parents to um you know to to, whether it's about losing weight or, or whatever have any of you managed to find a balance or a way to talk to your parents about these issues and how they impact you 
or how potentially damaging they could be. I have with my mum. Like we've spoken about it quite a lot as we've gotten older. And like, I remember my sister specifically saying to my mum, because my mum said something just throw away about being on a diet or being fat. I can't remember what it was. And then my sister just said, mum, when we have kids, you can't say those types of things in front of our children. And just explicitly just told her. And like, we kind of then talked about how it affected us growing up and how like, you know, it seems like she's talking about her body, but actually it's a reflection on how she feels about ours as well. And like, it has definitely made me feel about how I would really hate to put any of my insecurities. And I know it's going to happen because it's just, it's a normal part of parenting. I'm sure it just happens by proxy of being in close proximity of your children. You are going to say shit that is going to then pass on to your children no matter no matter what but I'm really really conscious of doing it and I think like I would really like to not do that but yeah I have had conversations with my mom about it and she's been really open about things as well I think that I think that's really good um, and nice to hear Viv I don't think I've reached that stage yet um the last time a family member called me fat in a derogatory way just didn't speak to them for a few days and that was okay mm. you know I don't have to live with them so don't have to live by their standards but I mean I hope at one stage maybe I'll feel brave enough to broach that broach that conversation as to why it's not okay to use fat in a derogatory term why it's not okay to like you say project your own insecurities or your own stereotypes um however they've come along onto other people yeah, yeah, I think I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. I know that my previously my dad has been quite bad for saying to my mom, "Oh, you're you're very fat, you're very chubby," and and all this and all that. And my mom is has been very self conscious as well about her weight. Um, I tend to jump in and tear the other person apart, <laughs> bug it off, <laughs> tell them. Yeah, I'm. I, I mean, I think. I think that, you know, method that you had Viv, with your mum and explaining actually how, how it's, how it happens, um, not behind the scenes, but, you know, how those words have become interpreted and how they manifest um, into self-esteem and um, et cetera. I think that really will open, especially our parents' eyes to these throwaway comments and, and the real effects, detrimental effects that they can have. Um, but for the time being, you know, when, whenever I get told to sit like a lady, cross my legs or whatever, or to not wear such and such a thing because it's too manly, I just tell them to fuck off. <laughs> oh my god I can't I cannot imagine ever saying anything like that to my mum I mean I grew well, up I don't see it explicitly okay. just kind of like... but I, I mean I grew I had an upbringing um had that kind of upbringing where you do not answer back ever yeah. and I would see all of my school friends like answering back to their parents and having like rows with them and I would just be sitting there like oh my god if I ever spoke to my mum like that <laughs> um but yeah I mean my dad was a really big guy um so I grew up in a household that was very much steeped in quite fat phobic um yeah behavior just in terms of like dieting and stuff but we dealt with it as a family by never talking about it <laughs> so healthy I heard that's the best way it's the best way um so I mean I think there's still a long way for me to go in terms of having those conversations but I do think to your point Viv if I had children I would have a much stronger impetus and drive to Mm. uh to address those things at the root because it is so important um in in shaping people's upbringing and yeah just shaping the way that they view the world 
Mm. I think I would just say, you know, you know, like talk about like say anti-racism, for example. I think it just has to be said, like, look, mummy has these hangups, but this does not reflect on how you should feel about mm-hmm. blah blah blah. And, and just like normalizing yeah. having those conversations. Um, and to come back to the point about touching like because I've been so traumatized by that as a child just having mm. like random people either strangers in the street or like family members who aren't really family members like not really your auntie um, yeah. you know just touching you and grabbing you and wanting kisses and stuff like that you know teaching children about bodily consent for any kind of interaction mm. um, that mm. involves being touched I think I would be so conscious of that and like I mean it's kind of it's a cultural thing as well I suppose you know when I think of like when I think about my Vietnamese family, I actually don't know if this is a Vietnamese thing or if it's an EC thing or if it's just a my family thing. It's really common to grab someone's cheeks and kind of sniff and just go. <laughs> it's really, but it's kind of, you're basically grabbing all the fat parts that you can find and just sort of mm. squeezing them. Um, and it's, it can be quite painful, especially if you're a young child, but it's also <laughs> quite alarming, but it is a way to express love mm. and appreciation. But when you've kind of grown up in a sort of a society that makes you paranoid about fatness and makes you view fatness as bad, it can, as you grow older, I remember being a teenager and having my, you know, having being grabbed and squeezed by my aunties was just a reminder of the hang-ups that I had about my body are you laughing mm. at my trauma I'm laughing because it's like fucking hell it's so normalized <laughs> isn't it like just how often my family have done it and still do it to our baby cousins now like and and then how like the, the consent thing and how it just starts at such a young age and how ridiculous yeah. it is how like yeah. we allow our children to be touched by strangers on the street like and yeah. that's why like oh fucking hell that's why I'm laughing because I'm like it's ridiculous isn't like, it how, old moment yeah like how such a small thing is like t- touching someone's cheek and then lead into like all the massive issues I'm not letting anyone touch my fucking child <laughs> yeah the cheek pinching is it you know I actually used to dislike this auntie that I had and I used to dislike going to Chinatown because whenever she saw me she would pinch my cheeks quite hard and for her and a lot of my relatives that was her expressing that oh I was her favorite or she you know liked to see me and whilst I understood it I also didn't enjoy how numb I felt afterwards yeah and what's the sniffing about what is that? I don't been... know. That's not a thing that I've ever experienced before. The Vietnamese maybe, sniff. Yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe you smelt. <laughs> oh, I remember well, actually, actually, you know, there's a phrase that we use in in Hakka, and it's often used for smelling children. And it's this idea of um not just children actually, smelling parents as well. Like um in Hakka, it's pisao. Pisao means to like this bodily smell that you have that connects you with um the parent or the child and it's a comforting sort of oh you know if I haven't um you know you you feel a lot better once you've um smelt your your mum or smelt your dad it's, I can't phrase it quite well but um yeah. it's also meant to be a comforting way but I can totally understand that if you're on the receiving end of being sniffed it's <laughs> is it like yeah. a new baby no, smell type of thing no yes, no uh-huh. I mean, for me, it's like, I think it's just a a compliment. It's like a standard thing that you say, like, oh, you look nice, maybe. I mean, I have this one auntie who she even does it to me now. Like, she'll kind of grab me and hug me as she sniffs me. And then she'll be like, "Mm, mmm, which means you smell good. (laughs) I'm pretty sure she'd say it to me, even if I smell disgusting. So I'm sure it's an expression of love in some way. I just haven't quite figured that one out yet. (laughs) Now, before we wrap up, 
I wonder whether the notion of smelling is something that not only is obviously invasive of our privacy and our personal space, but also is it because we have grown up in a Western society? Because obviously the notion of smells is quite sensitive in that, you know, you although someone might smell good, you don't necessarily want to tell them that you smell good because obviously you're smelling them. Equally, you don't want to smell bad. And I've noticed that smells are a lot more of a sensitive topic than mm. in when I speak to, um, for example, my friends from Hong Kong, where yeah. if something does stink, we comment, oh, that's that's minging, that's smelly. You know, Is just that, generally. And yeah. I wonder whether that's a Western and an East or Southeast Asian thing. I wonder whether it's because, you know, like a lot of um, East or Southeast Asian women, or no, sorry, people don't have that gene that causes BO. And then like you oh, get really? dry earwax. Yeah, so there's oh, a gene. I definitely do. <laughs> I have that gene. I don't put the agent on. I don't smell. So lucky. Smell me is my natural scent, but I genuinely I so I have dry earwax and I don't sm- I don't have BO and I've never had BO. I don't know what it's like. Well, yeah, you, you, have a, you do have a you do have a greasy ear hole or whatever it was you <laughs> I, said I earlier. Do, so yeah, that's a flex though, like you know. <laughs> what, total flex. What's dry earwax? Like it's not How? wet earwax. Do you know you get is your earwax wet or dry? <laughs> No, genuinely, I saw a thread about genuinely. it on Facebook. It was a subtle Asians women thread, and it was loads of women being like, "I, I have this gene where I don't smell." Well, I don't, I don't know, I don't think. Well, my feet never smell. Yeah. My, what about your armpits? Really. I mean, I don't know. To be honest, I don't know that I've. I'll sniff you next I've time. That, that bee treat. We'll, okay. We can all smell each other after a, a long hike and, and see. go. Mm. Well, I've got post-COVID. I've got post-COVID parosmia, so everything smells different to me. Like people's people's bodies smell like piss to me oh. at the moment, but Ooh. things like farts and poo smells like spring onions and cheese. What the fuck? Oh, that's yeah. not bad. That's, that's like not an bad actual trade-off, thing. though. Spring onions uh, and cheese. I'll take that. Yeah, but you don't mm-hmm. want to be around pissy-smelling people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what I also wonder is, has that changed how your body smells? Although it's changed how yeah. you smell other people. So if I were to sniff you, were you would you be a different smell to pre-getting COVID? Oh, no, no. It hasn't changed. It's only changed as me. Like, okay. it hasn't changed to other people's. It's my specific sense of smell. Like, a couple of things have been swapped or warped. What the so, fuck? Yeah. Oh, my God. Does that I mean so the food weird. that you eat also tastes different? Because the smell is different. <gasps> yeah, ginger, ginger and mint smell like piss now. So do you cook with ginger still? I mean, when when it, the taste is dulled, so it actually isn't that bad um, in terms of taste, but it just smells rank. Oh my god! Has do you know when yeah. you eat mint, does it taste like banana for anyone? No, always tastes like bananas for me. So. Maybe that's part of your gene that you don't, you know. No, you have. trust me, Carly. It's a thing. I'll send you. I'll send something. I'll Google and send something. It's a thing. I was reading a whole Facebook thread about it. It's true because it's on Facebook. It must be true then. It must be true. It, it, I've heard it before Facebook, okay? The sources were Wikipedia. Mm. <laughs> Thank you for listening to But Where Are You From? As always, we would appreciate your five-star reviews in the hundreds, please. And if you have any comments or feedback, please feel free to let us know. Yeah. Fucked it up, but... Can't no, be bothered I can cut that, to out. I can cut that okay. bit out, so it's fine. And you have been listening to, but where are you from? Thank you very much, everyone.